WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint, where power and politics collide and the tough questions get asked and answered. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. Election day now just days away in towns and cities across the Carolinas. Folks will be voting for mayor, city councilmen, even aldermen in some cases. Yep. What you need to know before you hit the polls coming up a little bit later in the show. But first, this week, we got an update on what's called the Transformational Mobility Plan, basically the regional game plan for making transportation around this growing city somewhat tolerable. Here's a look at the rail and busing phasing that we're expected to see over the next couple of decades. Yes, I said decades. This unveiled at this past week's city council retreat, paid for perhaps what you see here, this transit plan, at least perhaps by a one cent sales tax. Expansion of bus transit would come first. The Envision My Ride program would be complete by 2026. That's going to allow new routes and faster pickup times for buses, a whole reimagining of how we uh, sort of run our bus system. But when it comes to the rails, you're going to have to wait a lot longer. The red line, 2033, uh, phase three of the gold line, 2034, silver line, 2035, and then 2039 for the second phase of it. Perhaps a blue line extension to Valentine, not until 2041. We are talking 20 years away. Joining us today, Charlotte Mayor Pro Tem Julie Eisel. She chairs the Transportation and Planning Committee. Mayor Pro Tem, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Ben. Glad to be here. Um, okay, it strikes me that that when it comes to this issue of transportation here in Charlotte and, and the greater region, I, I honestly think if you could snap your fingers and have all these things in place in the next year, almost everybody would be on board, even if they are expensive. The problem I think that you all know and you're running into is that this, this is decades in the making and decades planning in advance. And if we've seen anything in the last year and a half, it's that a lot can change. A lot can change in a city like Charlotte um, in the way we commute, in the way we work. Um, how are you guys approaching this knowing that this is a bit of a moving target with all of these various projects? So I, I think it's, you know, we're, we're approaching it pretty methodically um, yesterday or Tuesday was really at the retreat, the opportunity for the council to hear from the Charlotte um, Regional Business Alliance and to hear from the Central Line Council of Government on their approach, um, what they've been doing with the Connect Beyond Committee and the work that Connect Beyond has been has done with, I think it's 11 different counties. And so it's, it's very organic and very methodical. We, the most important thing is to get everything out on the table, first and foremost, as to what the impacted towns and, and counties really want out of um, transit and transportation. Transit being the things that move, buses, rail, transportation being the hardscape, if you will, bridges, roads, sidewalks, bus stops. So what kind of buy-in, if any, have you gotten so far um, when it comes to some of those regional uh, partners, other towns, other cities, that sort of thing. And then, of course, you all have to get signed off from the General Assembly in Raleigh to put something like this um, when it comes to any sort of sales tax or anything like that on a ballot. Yeah, right. I don't I don't think we're asking for buy in right now. I think we're trying to give people as much information as possible as to what the what the transformational mobility network is. And it's a funding mechanism what it is, what it could fund, and then listen. Listen to see what uh, stakeholders want out of this program as well, if they're going to be a part of it. So that's step one. And then step two, the buy-in really does come when we know where everybody stands 
if they're if their needs are being met um, and then we go together to the the general assembly but we know that we can't do this just as charlotte it's got to be a regional effort and talk to us about what this sales tax uh, would look like if the general assembly signs off on this what would it look like well what we're asking for is a one percent sales tax and that would pay in the in the short term in the most immediate term which would be 2023 because if it gets approved next year on the ballot you wouldn't start collecting it till 2023 and in the short term that would pay for uh, enhancing and expanding our bus system we have envision my ride which is a reworking of the whole bus network that began in 2018 to really um, focus on our high frequency routes um, and get rid of that sort of hope, uh, hub and spoke approach to buses so that we have sort of mini transit centers where people can connect and they don't have to come through uptown. So I, I'm a big proponent of let's get that out in front and tell people what we're going to do with the bus system. With the light rail, um, the silver line or the red line, there's a lot of work to be done still. And so there's there's time for that, right? Because there's a whole fe federal funding process that has to happen, and that's going to be that's going to be years in the making. And, and how? And then, go, go ahead. I'm sorry. The other piece of that is greenways and sidewalks. That's a big piece of it too. That falls into the transportation category. And the way the proceeds would be split would be 80% transit, 20% transportation. And right now the proposal is that if we can't get approval for the red line for from Norfolk Southern, we could tweak that transportation number because it's really, the towns are, are really interested in transportation. How do they connect sidewalks? How do they get covered lit bus stops? Um, everything that feeds that is necessary, um, greenways, safe greenways, everything that's necessary to feed into the overall transit system. Of the of the rail lines, which one do you think is the most important? Well, the most probable is the silver line because we were already at the 15% engineering phase. That was council approved, I think, two years ago, $50 million that gets us through 15% of the, the design phase, sorry. Um, and that had to be, that's really critical because if we're going to be in line for federal funding, through the Biden administration's package, which we're hoping happens, then we're in pretty good position because we've gotten that far um, and we've hit that milestone already. And that's what the, the federal funding um, really takes into account when they decide who's gonna get assistance on that. Um, let me talk about the goal line, because I know we reported this past week here on WCNC Charlotte, that, that the, the daily passenger number is about 1,200 passengers, and it's substantially less, like a third less of what the initial projections were. Um, granted, I realize we're in the pandemic and things like this, but, but, but this goal line is now free right now. People don't have to pay for it. Um, and I think, think that sort of goes back to my, my first question of, of this is a moving target and, and things and dynamics are changing. Does it concern you at all that more people aren't riding the gold line that's now been uh, sort of accepting passengers in the last couple of months? Well, yeah, I mean, we'd love people to ride the gold line, but they, it has to get them where they want to go. And it's sort of like our bus system. It's sort of a chicken and the egg until it's connected into a holistic system, including buses then you know the gold line is a fixed line. Light rail is a fixed line. You can't move it because the population shifts 
um, north, south, east, or west. It's fixed, and it's and it, you've got to have a feeder system that feeds into that, like a bus line. So until we can build all of that out, we've really got to be a little bit patient on that. COVID aside, but we've got to be patient about that. People say, well, people don't ride the bus unless you have to, which is absolutely true. But until we invest in that bus system and make it so that people want to ride the bus because they're in a bus rapid transit lane and they're zooming past everybody stuck in traffic, then you know we can't we can't expect that we're going to see increases in in ridership. It's got to it's it's it has to provide a benefit to people. This past week, you all sort of figured out, uh, hammered out how you're going to spend that $60 million from the feds as part of the American Rescue Plan. $17 million is going to go to housing efforts, um, $16 million to workforce development and employment services, another $27 million to, to all sorts of different things, public safety, arts, culture, food insecurity. I mean, I know the Biden administration on a federal level had said some of this stuff was going to be transformative. Um, you feel pretty good about how this is being allocated? Absolutely. There's still, you know, we, we allocated $10 million to the digital divide. That's not fully baked yet because we committed to working with CMS and the county on a digital divide initiative. And we don't know what that is, but we wanted to, to give approval to staff to set that money aside so that they could continue to work with CMS and the county on what that really means. Does it mean, um, laptops? Does it mean internet uh, infrastructure? Does it mean tutor? We don't know right now exactly what that's going to look like. But some things like um, we, we approved $2 million for the YMCA for their youth programming in the afternoons. They've been doing that. Um, they do a really great job at it. And, and, and they're stood up and ready to go with that program. So some of the programs were ready to go. Some of them need to be fleshed out a little bit more. All right. Charlotte Mayor Pro Tem, Julie Eisel. Mayor Pro Tem, thank you as always. We appreciate it. Thanks, Ben. All right, take care. More Flashpoint Bye. after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Lawmakers in Raleigh currently drawing new congressional and legislative district maps. Politically, North Carolina is a swing state with neither major party having a large advantage, but new congressional district maps proposed by Republican lawmakers would give the GOP an 11 to 3 advantage in U.S. House seats. Princeton University has developed an online tool to help voters see whether state lawmakers are drawing fair maps. According to their tool, the maps North Carolina lawmakers have drawn so far in recent weeks have gotten plenty of Fs. Joining us now on Flashpoint, former Union County GOP Chair Dan Barry. Mr. Barry, nice to have you on. Thanks, Ben. It's good to be with you. Uh, let's talk redistricting first. Uh, you, you know, it's your, your colleagues are, are being criticized, um, which I think is to be somewhat expected in a situation like this. But we've been through this time and time again. We talk about it on Flashpoint all the time about the right way, the fair way to, to, to draw these district lines. Um, and I'm not sure if anybody anywhere will ever be, be happy with these. But our, our criticisms right now, considering that I believe that North Carolina is a fairly purple uh, state, do you think that the, the um, arguments against your GOP colleagues are fair arguments? No, I, th I think what, what we're hearing from my, my counterpoints on the left is they're not satisfied until they have a majority. And what we have in, in North Carolina is a legislative process, which makes it a political process by law. Um, and those in the General Assembly draw maps and of course, in North Carolina, we've had a history of litigation around that. What's interesting is, is to watch this process in a completely open and transparent fashion where the 
map drawers are using computers online and everybody can watch what's going on, and yet they're still not satisfied. What's interesting to me, and I'm a junkie on maps, Ben, you and I have been talking about this since I've come on your show, is that as we've seen the urbanization of the state, I expected to actually see a strong Republican seat in Mecklenburg and in Wake County. And that didn't happen. So we have some competitive Republican seats in the North Carolina General Assembly in Mecklenburg County. Um, John Bradford, of course, is there. There's a new seat on the South if these maps hold. And it's going to be interesting to see what that happens. I, I was hopeful for good governance that Mecklenburg County would, and the Democrats in Mecklenburg County would work with the General Assembly to get another Republican member because they need a seat at the table and a voice. Yeah, and, and you make a, a good point that, like the process or not, it has been more transparent than it has been um, in, in years past. Um, you mentioned the, the state legislative districts and, and how they're being drawn. Um, let's talk about the U.S. House um, districts. We got 14 seats. How do you think, what do you think is a fair distribution of, of, of how the parties break down among those 14 seats? Well, that's a tough call. And I, I know where you're going with this when the when the Supreme, North Carolina Supreme Court race was, was won by 400 and something votes. Some would argue that we're a 50-50 state. Um, we're really not. We're probably a 65-35 state because you got to go into each district and look at county commission races, sheriff's races, the sheriffs are the most powerful people in every county, and then begin to look at how that is spread across the state. So it's it's a little bit different. What's interesting to me in the, the, the two maps that I'm paying attention to is the new 13th district, which let's just call that Cleveland County and Gaston County, and the new 4th district, which is out in Cumberland and Johnson County. And what's really going on under the surface at, at the way the map drawers are car carving this up. The other one that I'll point out is what you and I know is the 11th district, which is the mountains, uh, Madison Cawthorn's district. One of these maps, frankly, makes that a competitive seat. Um, you know, that where the Democrats have a shot at picking that seat off if they really mounted a formidable campaign. But Madison's got a Hey, Madison Cawthorn, Representative Cawthorn's got a stronghold on that seat. Uh, I'm going to talk about just briefly Anson County. We talked to Chuck Todd last week um, because NBC News is highlighting Anson County over the next year, one of uh, a few counties that, that they're sort of highlighting on a national level because it's sort of, um, it could be a bellwether. It could sort of upend what we think we know about politics. You have a, a, a strong um, rural African-American voter block there that you don't see in some other places that tends to be more religious, um, also tends to be lean, at least more conservative. Um, you think that's good that, that we have places like Charlotte's always going to be liberal, always going to be, you know, not conservative. Then there's going to be places that always, I think you have places like Anson that keeps us on our toes and makes us not quite sure what's going to happen. Well, you know, what's interesting, Ben, you asked that question and talk about Anson, go one county over to Robeson County, and we flipped the county this last election. Um, and so there's the, that 74 quarter going to the beach yeah. is transforming around us. What you didn't mention when we talk about Anson County is poverty. Yep. Um, if you've ever been to Wadesboro, yep. um, if you haven't, you need to do it. It is um, a wonderful old Southern community 
where the textile business packed up and left. Rampant unemployment. The largest employer in the county is a state prison, um, followed by the school district. It It is a challenging environment. And so as folks reach out and look to begin to see or desire change in their governance to create more economic opportunity by recruiting business, we're seeing that county commission and elected officials moving from hard Ds to now they're electing unaffiliated and independents. And hopefully we'll see some Republicans get elected there. There's a lot happening. I'm watching it as it bleeds into Union County. So you and I have had sure. a number of conversations about Mecklenburg bleeding over into the northwestern corner of Union County, Indian Trail and Weddington. We're also seeing a pushback coming in from Anson County. I'm watching the municipal races from Monroe to Gastonia, from Waxhaw to Huntersville. You know, there, there's kind of four issues that keep popping up that the, the voters are talking about all the time. Public safety, they're tired of the rampant violence, murder and drug um, problems and challenges that we have followed very closely by transportation. And and you and I have had a conversation, Joel Ford was on the show with us when we did it. We, we need a serious conversation with the General Assembly in the urban core and the feeder areas about how to get employees to employers or labor to manufacturing, however we want to define that in an efficient way. And when it takes you an hour and a half to get from Wadesboro to Charlotte to go to work, sure. those folks can't get there. And gas prices, $100 a $100 a tank full. We got to figure that out and we need to figure it out in a hurry. All right. Dan Barry, joining us from Union County as always. Mr. Barry, thank you as always. We appreciate it. Ben, thank you. All right. Take care, my friend. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. On Tuesday, a lot of you will be headed to the polls. We mentioned Charlotte's elections have been delayed because of redistricting, but there are elections in Davidson, Matthews, Huntersville, far beyond that from Kayser down to Clover. WCNC Charlotte's Megan Bragg is verifying what you need to know before you cast your vote. Before you head to the polls on Tuesday, we wanted to remind you of some of the do's and don'ts at your polling place. Our sources for this is Mecklenburg County Board of Elections, Michael Dickerson, and North Carolina State Board of Elections. The first question, do you need an ID in order to vote? Right now, you don't need an ID in order to vote. In 2019, a federal district court judge blocked the decision by the General Assembly to require an ID to vote. Until the court lifts that injunction, you do not need an ID. The next question, can you wear a t-shirt suggesting to vote for your party? According to the Mecklenburg County Board of Elections, Michael Dickerson, you can. I can wear a t-shirt, I can wear a button, I can wear a sticker. Well, I can't, but uh, voters can. Uh, that say vote for, for Joe Blow or Joe Smith or whatever. And that's perfectly fine. If they're in the precinct or if they're in the voting location and they're screaming out, I want everybody to vote for Joe Smith. No, that's not fine. Another question. Can you take a picture of yourself while voting? No. According to North Carolina State Board of Elections, it is illegal in North Carolina to take a ballot selfie. Early voting ends on Saturday. The polls will be open on Tuesday starting at 630 in the morning. With your Verify, I'm Megan Bragg. All good information. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Before we leave you, I want to share this uh, post from Facebook. Facebook's algorithm gave an angry reaction five times the weight of a traditional like. This information coming from the folks over at NBC News. 
This means in some cases, this would make Facebook a, a literal outrage machine. So, of course, enjoy social media and all their platforms, but also be wary of what they can do and how they can use your information. And folks, come interact with me, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you name it. If there's something you want us to cover on Flashpoint, let us know. And as always, listen and subscribe to our podcast. You can find it wherever you get yours. And we'll see you back here next weekend.